Hi guys, welcome to my podcast, Not Your Average Twink, where I talk about what I want, when I want, whenever I want, because I can. Uh, if you don't know what a twink is, you're obviously straight, and that's okay. Um, I'm sure you can use Google, and I am Jake Dolphin, if you didn't know, start clapping. Um, hello, I didn't say stop. Anyways, let's get into the episode. Hi guys, I am back. Um, I kind of released three episodes and then ditched because I haven't really been feeling um, all that great lately. And on top of that, my computer actually broke because... um, So I have this MacBook that I've had for four years now. And stupid me one day decided that I would take it in the shower and type a little bit on it. And... I've, I thought that I didn't get it wet, um, but obviously I did. So I'm assuming that's why my backlight display ended up blowing, like the fuse blew or something. So I took it to the Apple store and they said, yep, we're just going to run some diagnostics on it. It looks fine. I just have to take it into this back room and make sure that it doesn't have any water damage. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, I took it in the shower last week. And I'm like crossing my fingers, hoping for dear life, because otherwise it was going to cost $600 and I am not paying $600 for half of a computer that's four years old. Um, and they came back and they said, nope, no water damage. It looks like you've taken great care of it. And I said, thank God for that. Um, but I wanted to come on and talk today because I have, to be honest, not been feeling very good at all lately. Um, I've been very, very, very down in the dumps. I just feel like life is not working out for me at this point. I'm like, do I need to have a Britney Spears moment and shave my head? Because nothing I do is working for me. Um... I've been, I just went back on antidepressants as of two days ago and I have really bad issues because I used to have antidepressants. Um, when I first broke up with Caleb, I went on them for six months. And I, when I tell you I have every side effect under the sun on antidepressants, I have every side effect under the sun on antidepressants. If you were to go through and Google the side effects of antidepressants, I can literally tick off the box that I have every single one of them when I take the SSRIs. Um, so I woke up this morning after only being on them for two days and I had the most scary, horrible nightmare that went for like four hours. Um, so not fun, but, um, this topic today is pretty serious for me because those people who know me quite well know that I am very, very, very bad at talking about my, um, issues in life because my, my trauma response is just to make a joke about basically everything ever. And it usually seems to work, but rarely do I ever actually have a full on sit down. I'm upset conversation with any of my friends because I will always find a way to joke about it somehow, which then makes people think that I'm not being serious or that it's not as serious as what I'm making it out to be. Um, but I, I mean, I guess this is a bit hard to admit, but I think that I have a drug and alcohol problem. Um, And it's really hard for me because I have always considered myself very, very, very responsible when it comes to everything that I do. Every single drug that I've ever taken, I have always watched a documentary and like read up on the drug extensively before I try it. And for the most part, unless it's something like weed, any other drug that I've done that's been a bit more serious than weed... Um, I have always had someone there with me who is not taking the drug so that that way, if anything goes wrong, they know what I've done and they can help 
and get me to the, like get, call an ambulance for me or something like that and let them know what's happened. And I'm also not stupid in the sense that I don't ever take over what I should take. Like I don't heavily imbibe to the point where I've heard lots of stories of ex-friends who, you know, they say, they say to me, don't do this drug because the first time I did it, say for example, with MDMA, I had a friend once who told me, I took MDMA for the first time and I took one pill and within half an hour it hadn't worked. So I took three more and then I'm vomiting on the bathroom floor. And I'm like, well, you're an idiot one, because if your if your natural instinct was to take one to start off with, because that's a standard dose, especially the first time you take something and then you decided, oh, it didn't work after half an hour. So I'm going to take three more then you deserve to be on the floor vomiting. It's your own damn fault. So I've never, ever, ever really taken like, I think I've had probably three actual hangovers in my entire life. And it's not because I'm this great, heavy, heavy, strong, heavyweight guy. I get drunk off two bottles, uh, two glasses of wine, but I always know at what point I need to stop drinking in order to make sure that I don't feel sick the next morning. And, um, same with drugs. I never do. I've never, ever, ever had any bad experience with any drug ever because I've always taken what I would consider to be the standard dose. And I've always been fine. I've never gotten sick from anything. Never had a bad experience. Uh, like say, for example, with LSD, I've never had a bad trip, nothing. Um, and I think maybe within the last three months, I've kind of been really down in the dumps to the point where I'm using drugs and when I mean, when I say drugs, it's really only edibles. I don't like to smoke weed because I think smoking is bad and obviously bad for your lungs. And I don't know if I have asthma or what, but like if I were to smoke, I cough a lot compared to most people. So I don't smoke weed. Um, but edibles to me isn't as bad because you're eating it and it's just going into your blood. Uh, and who cares? I get to eat a brownie and then I get high at the same time. Um, but I've gotten to the point where I've realized that it's become a real big problem for me. And I've always said to myself that, you know, because I don't get hung over the next morning and because I'm not spending all this money on everything that I do, that I don't have a problem because at the end of the day, I know that I could stop right now. If you told me, Jake, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you don't smoke, uh, if you don't take edibles or drink alcohol for a month. I could do it because one, I need that $100 and two, like I have no qualms about stopping something. The problem is for me, I, and this is where I guess addiction comes in many forms that I never really thought to consider, but I had always thought that addict, if you were addicted to something, it just meant that you would like you had this, um, your body was like craving it and you needed it. I wouldn't say that I crave alcohol or that I wake up and I go, oh, I really need a drink or I get stressed out and go, oh, I really need a drink. I would say that I sit there and I'll come home at night and I'll have nothing to do. And then I'll go, oh, well, if I have nothing to do, it's more fun to watch a documentary or, or watch a movie when you're having a drink rather than when you're not. Um, so then I have just gotten to this stage where basically all the time I'm drinking and it makes it even worse for me because I get all my alcohol for free. I don't pay for any alcohol. I do mystery shopping, so I, I, I get heaps of alcohol. And it's gotten worse in the last couple of months or so because I've started getting maybe, I would say, at least two, two bottles of spirits a week for free. And on top of that, I'm getting paid like $10 each time I get the spirit on top of that. So to me, I'm like, 
technically I'm making money from drinking. Um, so it makes it worse because you convince yourself, oh, well, it's not costing me anything. And then as for edibles, it might cost me $5 to get high. So it's gotten to the point where it's become almost a every second night thing, um, which is not good. I, 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 uh, originally I was convincing myself and I was saying, you know what? I'm fine if I do this more often every now and again, because I know that in three years time when I've graduated and I have to work, I'm not going to be drinking every night or anything like that because I will have things to do. And I think that's where maybe being in a relationship helps me or living with people who I regularly um, hang out with because then it distracts me and I don't feel the need to constantly be imbibing and doing something to take the edge off because I have other things to do because I know that when I was dating, I really didn't drink all that often. Uh, and I didn't do drugs all that often either, although that was when I was younger. So I really didn't do anything at all in the first place. Um, but now I'm bored and I'm alone and I'm sad and depressed at my house sitting, doing nothing. So it's like, I'm always reaching for something. So I've finally sat down and thought to myself, you know what, this is a problem for me that I need to deal with. Um, and it's really hard. Like every couple of weeks I've gone, okay, I need to stop drinking as much. And I keep telling my friends and my mom, I go, I need to stop drinking. I drink too much, but then I just reach for it again because I'm bored and I have nothing to do. And I think another problem with me is I don't know if nothing stimulates me as much as it used to. So whilst I used to be happy to hang out with two people a week and that would keep me satisfied and entertained. Now I could be doing something every single night of the week or every single day. And the minute I get home, I'm like, Oh, I'm bored. I hardly ever do anything when in reality I'm always out and I'm always doing something. And then it just ties back in with the, well, I'm not paying for it. So who cares? It's not an issue. It's not costing me money. Um, but it's just getting really, really hard at this point. And it doesn't help that, you know, I'm really upset lately. I'm quite depressed with everything that's happening in my life or the lack of things that are happening in my life. So I just find that I keep reaching for anything that I can get my hands on to, wouldn't say numb the pain of being sad because I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm quite a happy, like, I might complain a lot to whoever I'm around, but it's not like you see me and I'm lying on the bed. Um, you wouldn't really be able to tell that I'm upset all the time because I'm naturally cracking jokes and being humorous and blah, 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 blah. Um, but it has really become a problem. But I wanted to get into today, and whilst we're on the topic, I wanted to talk about the the normalization of drug use within the gay community because I feel like I never really realized up until I thought about it, and I have watched a couple of movies and documentaries and TV series, and I've thought, wow, it's actually much uh, a much bigger problem than I ever cared to realize. Um, so before we get into it, Thank you to everyone who actually listened to my first three podcasts. Um, I'm not really expecting any of this stuff to ever blow up. I more just saw it as a hobby to keep myself busy because I really don't have all that much going on for me at the moment. Um, I graduate uni in three weeks and then I'm going to be traveling in January. I'm going to be homeless as of a week. So I'm really not doing anything. This is more something to keep me entertained and make my mind work because all I basically do is sit at home and watch documentaries and video essays all day. Um, but I'll get into the topic anyway, since I'm here talking. Um, so this, if I stutter or if I say something wrong, I will try and come back and correct myself. But 
I don't have a script for any of this, so this is kind of just me talking out of my ass. But um, I have done a little bit of research and wrote a couple of statistics down because I want to make sure that I have the right statistics rather than quoting something random. So I don't know if many people realize this. I think gay people who are listening would probably sit there and think, oh, that makes sense. But straight people, I think, have no idea. As did I, really. I never really thought about it. Um, But LGBTQ people use drugs at a far, far higher rate than straight people. Statistically, actually, at a rate of 200%. Yes, I did my research. Um, And by the way, for all the people who want to come for me with my terms that I use, um, if I say normal in reference to straight people at any point, that's just what I say. Don't kill me. Um, It's kind of a habit that I've always had. Uh, I think realistically, gay people or queer people or whatever you want to use as an umbrella term, I guess, um, we're not normal. And I'm not saying that that's not like, that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't really associate normality as necessarily a good thing because who wants to be normal? Um, I just also don't tie the word abnormal with any negative connotation to me as a whole, just the group, like the group as a whole of queer people, whatever you want to call them. Um, we're not normal, which I like because like I said, who wants to be normal? (laughs) It's not like I'm normal. I don't think I've ever been normal. Um, most people who aren't involved within the community as a whole probably wouldn't even realize, but drugs are very, very normalized, I feel. Uh, so much so that we actually have grinder tags that are available for people who use drugs. So for those people who haven't seen grinder before, uh, there's lots of, there's lots of um, tabs of different... I'm going to get my app up now and show you just some... I'll click on a random profile and show you. So basically, you can describe what you're into or what you're looking for based on tabs on your profile so this person of course has none because that's who i clicked on why does no one have this one has gaming and music so you can do like standard topics of things that you enjoy like hobbies and stuff like that and then there's also stuff like uh friends with benefits rough as in rough sex discreet as in they don't really want you out like telling anyone that you've had sex with them that sort of thing dom as in like dominant um kinky like sub twink bondage FF, I don't know that. Oh, maybe that. I think that might be fisting. Like there a lot. Uh, there's some that are quite um, out there and a bit weird, but there's some that are normal. Like I have in mind cooking, um, <laughs> that sort of thing. But there is one category, one uh, tab that is called gear. Um, so that tag is basically referring to crystal meth. I don't know if it refers to other drugs as well if it's encompassing any other drugs or if it's just referring to crystal meth, um, because I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Now I've never done it myself. It is on my bucket list. No, I'm only joking. Um, don't ban me Spotify. Um, but from what I'm, what I've heard, basically people like to have sex on meth because it relaxes them and they're way hornier. And I think it kind of releases your inhibitions. And I've heard that people who have like do meth can have sex for hours uh, so it's increasing sexual desire, kind of similar to Amor, uh, slash Poppers slash Jungle Juice for those people who don't know what those are. I know everyone calls it something different. Oh, Adobe is popping up on my computer. Let me just, can you go away? I thought Adobe Flash Player was irrelevant and all of a sudden it keeps popping up on my computer every two seconds and freezing my screen. Um, sorry. Oh, go away. Let me get back into it. Uh, now it's popping up on my screen again. Oh my God, seriously. Whoops. 
here I am, I'm back. Um, so basically, um, I, I'm obviously Amel and I'll explain what Amel is in a minute for those who don't know, but obviously crystal meth is way harder of a drug. It's at a much higher intensity than the effects of Amel. Uh, but it's very common to see people on Grindr advertising that they want to smoke meth with someone and have sex. So as horrifying as that may sound to some people, the slang term for it is puff and play or PNP sometimes. Or sometimes they'll have like cloud emojis or something. This is something that I didn't really know about up until a couple of years ago. Before that, I, I thought that PNP was like, I don't know why, but I always thought that it was like Dungeons and Dragons, like D&D. Yeah, D&D. I always thought it was like similar to that. <laughs> I don't know why. Um... So my personal thoughts on anyone who does meth and has sex, um, no, because I don't want an STD, sorry. And look, I'm all for experimenting with drugs, but crystal meth is not something that I would personally partake in because I've heard that it's one, I don't know, I just have this negative connotation associated with it, but also I've heard it's one of the most addictive drugs ever, um, like more, addict, more addictive than opioids, which they say are like the most addictive over-the-counter medication. Um, and these sort of people who do meth and that sort of thing, they're really not that hard to spot. Even if they aren't advertising their drug use, sometimes you'll get messages from people on Grindr and they make little to no sense. Like they will be typing and I'm just like, what does that say? Like, it's like a five-year-old was messaging you. That's what they, that's what they speak like on Grindr when they're sending you messages. Like they're terrible with grammar and spelling, which to me either tells me that their English is like that English is not their first language, in which case fine. Or most likely the other situation is that they're either incredibly stupid or they're on drugs and can't form a coherent sentence in their life. If the, it, even if their life depended on it realistically. Um, and they also just seem to always have like this cracked look on their face. Like you, you can just tell when someone's a regular hard drug user because I don't know, picture, picture someone who uses crack. Like they, I don't know. They have, they always have bad skin and teeth. And for some reason, I think lots of them always seem to have like bleached hair, but it's, it's very weird to me because when I think of the average, um, like crack user, you assume that it's someone who's quite, you know, like unsuccessful and like either homeless or doesn't have a job, that sort of thing. But as I've found, there's lots of people who are quite successful with their businesses and their job and their career who also do crack, um, which is weird to me. Like, I don't know. I extend my sympathy towards anyone that's addicted to crack because obviously, look, at the end of the day, I don't know how you got to that situation. Everyone goes through different things. And I've seen many incidents. As, uh, sorry, I stutter. I've seen many incident, incidences of people who become so addicted to these sorts of drugs and like it completely ruin, it ruins their lives. I actually have a family member who I won't name um, who has had a similar experience. And whilst I don't actually really know anything about their story and what happened to them, it just goes to show that this sort of thing affects literally anyone from any walk of life. I mean, I literally hear of doctors, I've heard of doctors who do coke um, within the operating theatre because they need to stay alert and awake, which is very worrying to me, to be honest. Um, and then you hear about lawyers who also use coke all the time. I guess these sorts of occupations are ones that can afford this sort of thing because coke's so damn expensive. Um, I think it's also a big thing in the culinary industry because I assume chefs, I don't know, maybe because they're working long hours and they're needing to stay awake as well, but that's Coke. And honestly, I can't even understand how anyone even enjoys Coke in the first place because it does nothing for me. I really don't understand Coke. I've done it twice, I think. 
And it's something that I would never ever buy because it, with how expensive it is. But if someone offers it to me and I'm drinking, I might take like one line of it and then be like, oh, that did nothing and then regret taking it. I mean, I don't ever feel it the next day, but it's more just the point of like, oh, I took it and it hardly did anything for me, so I shouldn't take it. Um, but like, I don't know, it, it's the most boring thing I've ever tried in my life, if I'm being honest. Like, there, there is no other drug that I've tried that costs that much and does so little for me. Um, I don't know. $400 for a bag in Australia of like Coke. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, why would I want to pay that much for something that hardly does anything for me? I would literally rather sleep with that $400 in my bed and like cuddle the $400 and $50 notes and go to sleep soundly rather than knowing that I spent $400 on a bag of Coke that's pretty much, I don't know what, a mystery white bag of powder that makes my nose hurt and is probably like 50% corn flour or baking powder or something. Like it's going to make spores grow out of my nose. <laughs> but anyway, um, drugs are so big within the gay community realistically. So hang on, let me find my statistic that I had written down. So they actually did a study in America and I couldn't find the statistics, I couldn't find the statistics of, um, drug use within Australia with young people, but they did a study in America and it's shown that, uh, one in eight Australian, uh, one in eight gay people within the age bracket of 18 to 24 consume hard drugs at least once a month. So when we're talking about hard drugs, we're not talking about weed. We're talking about stuff like MDMA. I'd say LSD would be considered a hard drug, but I don't really consider it myself to be all that hard or affecting of your senses or anything like that. Like, especially with long-term use, LSD doesn't really do all that much. Um, but the fact that that's just, that's one in eight gay people that are actually willing to admit that. And I know usually gay people are quite, uh, like, I guess they're more open-minded and more open to discussing their private lives and talking about things that the average person wouldn't speak about to random strangers. But I also think it's because there's this, there's quite a culture of I'll, I'll say queer, but I don't like to use the word queer. Um, there's this culture of queer people that everyone likes to go out drinking and clubbing a lot more. Um, you'll notice I'm switching up words a lot more when I'm describing whatever group I'm talking about. And that's purely because, like I said, I personally don't like to use the word queer. Uh, and I wouldn't ever identify as queer in any way, shape or form, literally at all. But I understand that, I guess most people or at least some people resonate with it i think especially younger people but for me i just i don't know it doesn't it's not something that i would ever use to describe me i still consider it a slur i've had people call me it as a slur before so to me it's not something that i would ever use to describe myself but you do you um i i, I kind of want to do a topic on the acronym the lgbt acronym itself and how ridiculous it's getting but i guess that's an episode for another time um I don't know. I, I'm only describing my experience as me as a 22 year old person who has basically lived in a country town for my whole life up until last year. So I don't know. Um, (laughs) now clubbing is a hard one for me because I can see why I can see the appeal for some people. I definitely kind of get confused when people are years older than me and they're still going out because to me, I think clubbing is definitely something that should be a phase for you. And then as you grow up a little bit, not that I'm saying there's anything inherently mature, uh, immature about going out, but I just think that once you get to a certain point in your life, I, I hope at the very least that once I get to like 
26 or something like that, I won't want to be drinking as much, which probably isn't true because most people I know that are older seem to drink more because they're stressed about work and stuff like that. Whereas I guess really I have less to be stressed about. Um, but, but it's not for me. I don't know. I, I like to think that I have better things to do than go out all the time, like be on my couch drinking and depressed watching any show in the world that isn't RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, <laughs> honestly don't understand the appeal, but everyone seems to love it. Um, now I'd never actually really thought about why so many people go out clubbing all the time. And as, as I, as I said before, this is from the opinion of someone who has grown up in a country town. So I get that there might be some bias behind this. Um, and that's something that I'm working on and I'll get over it in the end. I'm like learning new things every day, which is why I talk about this stuff all the time, but I've never really thought about why everyone loves to go out drinking so much, especially, um, like gay and queer people. Um, because most people I know my age, realistically, most people I know like to go out like gay straight or otherwise, I think when you grow up in a small town like Aubrey Wodonga, it's one of those things where there's not much to do. So most people go out like every single weekend. And for me, I remember going out was something that I was really excited to experience before I was 18 because I was like, wow, everyone always hypes up going out and you see people going out and having so much fun by the looks of it because they're constantly posting pictures on their stories and stuff like that. And they're with so many people and they get to hang out with so many people and make new friends and then I kind of did it and I was like, oh, like, is this supposed to be fun? I much prefer to be in a group setting where we can sit at, like, go to a house party. Like I went to a Halloween party the other week. And that to me was so much more fun because I met a bunch of people that I'd never really spoken to before. And I still got to experience drinking, but without the harsh blare of noise and music where I can't hear anyone talk and... I have to pay $14 for a damn vodka and orange juice. Like, sorry, I'd rather spend, well, $0, but, you know, say if I'm spending, like, I'd rather spend $10 on a bottle of wine and get drunk that way rather than rack up a bill of $200 going out drinking. Um, excuse me. So I watched a documentary recently, uh, which is kind of why I wanted to talk about this topic as a whole, because I'd learned so much about it that I didn't know before. And also because, as I said at the start, I think I have a bit of a problem myself, so... I kind of was examining it. Um, but I watched a documentary. I can't remember what it was called, but it was on queer culture and the normalization of drug use and why everyone likes to go out so much. And I'd never really, I don't know. I'd never really, Oh, I also watched it's a sin. Um, I don't know who's seen that. It's actually quite good. It has the guy from years and years on it who I quite, I quite like some of their songs. Um, I will say, I was, I don't find the guy, I don't know what his name is, Ollie Alexander or something, I think. I don't find him attractive, but for some reason, whenever I'm on LSD, I will like watch something and then fixate on a certain person and be like, oh, they're really hot. But then when I'm not on LSD, I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, the first time I did LSD, it was actually Dua Lipa. I watched a Dua Lipa music video and I actually really got, this sounds so bad. I got really turned on from watching this Dua Lipa music video. Um, because I feel like if I was straight, that would be my type, like a dark haired kind of, uh, I, I guess she doesn't look that Middle Eastern, but like dark features, um, like slim, tall. I wouldn't want a short girl. I also wouldn't want them to be taller than me, but still, um, 
And I was getting, I was finding myself getting really attracted to Dua Lipa to the point where too much information, but I literally was watching her on TV and I whipped my dick out and I was like, okay, I'm going to jack off to Dua Lipa. And then I, I don't know how many people have done LSD or if everyone has the same experience as I do with skin textures when you're looking at your skin on LSD. But I was looking at my dick and it kind of looked like a plastic dick. Like it looked like a dildo or whatever. And I don't own a dildo, so this is just based on, like, you know, when you go into a sex store and they're in the plastic and you see, like, I don't know, it just has that unnatural looking skin color and texture and it's shiny. That's what my dick looked like. And I instantly was like, yep, no more Dua Lipa, goodbye. I'm I'm in no way turned on anymore at all. Like, nope. Same as, like, another time when I did LSD, I was getting really attracted to... I don't think I was getting attracted to Troy Sivan himself because twinks, for the most part, are not my type. I've kind of grown a little bit more used to them now, but I never used to like twinks at all. Um, but I was watching the My 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 video for Troy Sivan's music video. And um, I don't know what it was, but something about the way he was dancing. And this would this would probably only make sense if you were on LSD at the time. And then you'd think about it and go, oh, this makes perfect sense. This is what you're saying. So right now it will probably make no sense. But I was getting so turned on by the, the his... Um, expressionism within his dancing and like the freedom to dance like a crazy person. Cause let's be honest, it's not exactly great dancing. It's like what I would dance like if I was drunk in a field. Um, but like I was getting really turned on by it cause I found it to be quite like sensual, um, which is really weird. It probably doesn't make any sense, but yeah. Um, but so I was watching like this documentary and then I was also watching it's a sin, which is basically about the AIDS epidemic in the eighties, uh, in the UK. And I never really realized why so many queer people go out until I was watching both of them. And it kind of dawned on me that obviously, I don't know if it's necessarily, I guess it's still valid today. I don't think anywhere near as much valid because I feel like we're, we're quite accepted out in public now. Hence, like, I'm sure even though I know people probably don't want to because so many gay people like ill straights, like I don't want to go to a straight club, but I know that if I, as a gay guy were to go to a gay club, it's not the end of the world. No one's going to go, oh, we don't want you here. Like, why aren't you at a gay club? Um, I don't necessarily know if that's the case at a gay club for a straight person as to whether or not... I'd say it wouldn't really matter for a gay uh, for a straight girl because there's lots of girls that are friends with gay guys and I'm sure they all go out together. But I've always wondered how many straight guys go to gay clubs and feel comfortable there because I don't think I would. But anyway... Um, but especially back in the 80s and the, and the 70s, I'm sure went back in the 70s, gay clubs were way more underground than they were in the 80s. Um, but like the ability to go out to a club and have it be the one place that you are like regarded well and well and accepted in society and you're free to express yourself in any way that you want. And I'd say that probably had something to do, like I'm sure that probably ties in with the drag movement and the creation of modern like uh pop and dance music i guess because all this disco music i'm pretty sure disco music was created and really popularized by black gay guys was it not who used to like to dress up in drag and that sort of thing i'm not really an expert on this topic but that's what i thought um now personally i do not like to go out to gay clubs because i don't feel like i fit in anywhere i go um i don't know i I don't exactly fit the stereotypical mold of a gay, even though I literally spent two years with bleach blonde hair and I weigh 56 kilos. Um, but, but still like, I don't know. 
hence the name of this stupid podcast. You know what I mean? But I, I feel like there's not many places that I feel like I fit in with other gay people around. And that's another episode topic that I really want to talk about because I don't know. I feel like in one sense, there's certain types of people, gay people that really gravitate towards me because I don't have the standard opinions of the average gay guy and I don't really tie in with all the politics and that sort of stuff. And I think lots of people really like that and they like the outspokenness. And then the other 75% of the people, they find me intolerable, which that's fine. I mean, I'm not out here to make friends. Like, I don't know. It's really strange to me. Like, like I discussed in a couple other episodes, I, I prefer people who have different opinions to me. I don't know why you want to surround yourself with this big gay friendship group where every single person has fucked every single person and they all bitch about each other behind their backs and they all talk shit and I don't know, they all share the exact same opinions and people feel scared to give off any opinion that is not the most commonly regarded one there. That doesn't sound like a fun time to me. Um, but I sure as hell don't fit into circus or uh, not circus circuit. God shows how, how often I go out or poof doof. Um, for those who don't know, those are gay clubs in uh, Melbourne or literally any, any other gay club I've been to. I've been to, uh, what's the other one called the Peel one time. And I feel like that one was the most scary to me because that one had like holes in the wall and like sex rooms, which I had never been exposed to that before in my life. So it was very, very scary for me. Um, oops. Why is my phone? My computer is like broken. I swear. Um, but basically, I don't know, I guess it makes sense more in previous eras where being gay or queer was so vilified and people were getting bashed or harassed in public or like killed even. Um, so like I said, I guess places like gay clubs were the one place where everyone around around them was like-minded or you at least knew that everyone at the club was there to... At least everyone there. They might not have all been gay, but they were at least gay-friendly. Um, I guess also, I'm sh- I don't know how much... How true this is, but I would assume, because I know back in the day there were... Even, like, not that long ago, there was a string of people that were going online on, like, infiltrating, like grinder and gay apps and organizing to hook up with gay guys and then you know like bashing them or whatever it's actually very prevalent in russia i watched a whole uh, little mini documentary about it and it's really sad what they do so basically a group of guys like they'll make a fake profile and then obviously because you know it's russia and that no one's out so they think oh i can go over to this guy's house i just have to be secret and then when they get there the russian guys will like bash them and torture them like um, sodomize them with like, I don't know, broomsticks and that sort of thing. Like really horrible stuff. And then half the time, I think they even like decapitate them and that sort of stuff. It's really bad. So it just makes stuff, hearing stuff like that makes me really like, I consider myself really lucky to be, even though I grew up in a small town for most of my life, it still makes me feel so lucky that I live in Australia where it's really, you know, we all have problems. I get it. Um, but it's no when it's not like I'm going to get thrown off a building, is it? And I think some people forget that sometimes. Um, but oh, excuse me. Um, but back to the whole drug topic. So basically, in gay club settings, I guess because I think gay guys as a whole are quite wild. You know, like I think there's a general trend that we're quite spontaneous and fun-hearted, that sort of thing. So there is quite a lot of drug use, I find, um, and regardless of whether or not you're gay or straight, I think the sort of people that are going out are probably way more likely to use drugs in the first place. Cause 
the average person is not using, say, MDMA um, at home. That's actually, I have actually only ever used MDMA at home. The first time I did it was with uh, Caleb. And we had such a fun time. Like, we had a friend with us who wasn't doing it. So that way I knew, you know, like, if anything was going wrong, she would be able to tell and she was observing us and that sort of thing. In a way, if you have someone like that, it's kind of a downer. But when you're on something like that, at least when you're peaking, you don't really think about the other person being bored of you or judging you because you have no inhibitions and you're just like, whatever. Because we were literally, like, dancing half naked around the kitchen, having so much fun, like... But... And this is where it ties back to me and my uh, addictions, I guess. And basically, when I did uh, MDMA, the first time I did it, we bought multiple pills because if I ever buy drugs, to me, I don't want to have to keep going back to that person and buying them. So I will just buy a couple of whatever it is so that that way it's cheaper because obviously you're buying in bulk. And then on top of that, if I don't like it or something like that, I can just sell it to someone because I always know people who are asking. For some reason, I seem to be this person that everyone goes, oh, do you know this person? And I'm like, there are plenty of better people that I know that you know that I could think that uh, like would be more convenient for you to ask for drugs for. But instead, you're asking me for whatever reason. I have no idea why. Um, but I took it. We took it again the second night because we had so much fun. And like, we felt so in love in the moment, yada, yada, yada. And then I realized after the second night that I did it, I was like, wow, like I can feel myself wanting to do it again. Whereas surely this is prior to me taking any drugs before. Surely when I had never taken drugs before, I had thought that after two nights of doing drugs, you're going to feel like hungover and not really want to do them again. But I didn't, I felt like I wanted to do it again. And I was like really craving MDMA. And so for that reason, I made the responsible decision. And this is what I mean. I had always regarded myself as responsible up until this point. I made the re- decision to not do it again for, I said, I'm not going to do it again for a year. And I didn't. I, did, I have done it again once since then. And then I haven't done it since. Um, would I do it again? Yes. But probably not in when I'm in the current state of mind that I am in now. Because it's hard when you know that you have the money to buy whatever you want and also the time to do it whenever you want to do it. Because then I know that there's nothing stopping me from doing it whenever I want, which is a really big setback for me. Um, but like, obviously you have all these people at the club surrounded by other people at the clubs and everyone wants to drink. And realistically, the, the, there's also a cost factor with this. People who do drugs, surely there's a money saving aspect to it as well, because would I rather spend $200 a night going out drinking or would I rather take, say, for example, two um, pingers like MDMA and have like a couple drinks and basically spend half the price, but probably have way more fun? To me, I'd rather spend less and get more value out of it, more bang for your buck. Um, but there's also, so in the gay community, and this is something that I have always uh, heard to steer clear of because I watched this documentary about it. Um, and I never really knew much about it up until that point. I'd never heard of it, but GHB, which I think is, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but GHB is kind of a highly potent, kind of like, uh, MDMA, but in liquid drop form. Um, and it's extremely dangerous from what I've heard because you only need like a very, very, very small amount. And if you take too much, which obviously is very easy, especially if it's in drop form. And if you're already like drunk or something in the moment, obviously you've probably going to pour too much in. I don't know if they use like a dropper system or whatever for it. Um, 
but it's very easy to overdose and then you can stop breathing from it basically either that or you just pass out but the chances of you stopping breathing or like vomiting and choking on your own vomit are very high um and i've also heard of situations where people will use it as a date rape kind of drug because you know you can if you take too much you can pass out in like two minutes and if you're in a setting where you can get someone home and pretend that you're helping them out or something like that i'm sure it would be very easy to take someone home and then rape them which is a scary thought um but like I said, it doesn't really take much to overdose or get really, really sick from it or have something dangerous happen because it's such a concentrated drug, from what I understand. Um, now, st stuff like GHB, I feel like these are quite taboo drugs. And I don't know. I don't know how common GHB is. I know I've heard of plenty of people who use it, but it's not something that gets brought up in any circle that I'm in because most of the people that I know are quite responsible. But the one drug that I would say that at least half of all like LGBTQ, queer, whatever you want to call it, um, what most people use, or at least have tried before, um, more so guys than girls, I couldn't imagine it being something that like lesbians use, really. I think it's more, more gay guys, is Amyl. Now, like I said, I was talking about it before. There's lots of different names for it. Um, jungle Juice, Poppers, um, I don't know, uh, Rush, I think some people in America call it that. Um, now, like I said, I know I mentioned it before, but I think there's lots of people that actually have no idea what it is. Um, especially older people. I feel like my mum wouldn't know what it is. So mum, this is a explanation for you. Um, so <laughs> one time, so it's basically, so I'll tell you the story first. So one time I told my friend, um, Beck to take a sniff of it. Just, I was like, oh, you know, try it once. It's not going to, it's, it's, it literally lasts for a minute. So it's not like it's something that. You know, you're, you take in it last 12 hours or anything. And it's not that strong. It's not like you're going to like fall over or anything. Uh, and she, from what I had told her about it, obviously she knew that it was like something that I'd used in sex and she got scared. And after she sniffed it and she was like, Oh my God, like, am I going to want to fuck you? And I was like, no, Beck, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so what Amal does basically is it relaxes your muscles and it also gives you like this mild, uh, it's quite short lived, but like a head rush. So, of course, if you're gay and you're literally taking a friggin' dick up your ass, especially a big one, um, sorry, TMI, but whatever, um, it, of course, helps with um, that, especially if you're feeling nervous or anxious, because it obviously if you're feeling nervous or something like that, you kind of clench and you're not relaxed at all. And I will also admit that it is, a, like, it, especially, I, I would never take it, like clubbing or something like that. You, you'll see at gay clubs, lots of people will have it on the dance floor. Um, I was with a friend once and they had it and they dropped their lid of it on the dance floor and then they had to put their finger over the hole the whole night because otherwise the gases escape and then you'll smell it. Um, and it'll probably like cause you to get a little bit of a headache if it's like constantly in the air. Um, but I, like I said, I will admit it's like, it's pretty damn good in the moment when you're having sex. Like I don't really know how to describe it. You kind of have to try it to really know what it's like. But I've heard that it's kind of like the mild version of what it feels like to have um, sex on crack or crystal meth, which another word for that, I think, is like another term is chem sex. But I think chem sex can encompass multiple different types of drugs. Um, but like amyl is literally shoe polish or leather cleaner or something along those lines. So of course it's not as, it's not good for you, but would I say that it's anywhere near as bad for you as, uh, like, uh, sorry, 
crystal meth or anything like that. No, of course not. Um, it's only short lived. I'm sure it probably destroys a few brain cells, but I think it's probably along the same lines as whippets or nangs or whatever people call them, the whipped cream canisters, which I had, um, I was with some friends once. Well, I was with a friend who had all her friends around and they asked if I wanted to do it and I didn't know what it was. And this is bringing it back to where I used to be responsible. And I had said, they were like, oh, do you want to do it with us? And I said, oh, I, what is it? And they explained it to me. And I was like, oh, I'll watch you do it. Like, I don't really know enough about it to do it. Um, and so they did it. And one of them, they all did it at the same time. And one of them actually like seized and fell over on the floor. And I thought that she was dying. So me in my head, I'm panicking. And I'm like, oh my God, like she's going to die. And then she gets back up and she's like, haha, that was so fun. Like I seized, did you see? And I just thought, okay, I really don't ever want to do that because any drug that, uh, I have the op- like the misfortune of maybe seizing and having a mini fit on. I do not want to do. Sorry. Like that's doing a little bit too much to my brain. I don't want to imbibe in something like that. Um, but I think I would have to say that Amor is probably the most normalized and common uh, used drug overall, especially during sex. Like, like I said, it's used at cl- in clubbing, but during sex, I would say, I would say probably at least 50% of gay people that you hook up with have Amel under their, like in their drawer or something like that. Or some people keep it in their fridge because I think if you put it in the fridge, it's supposed to last longer. Um, now my personal experience with Amel, I don't have any myself. Um, but I will take it if someone offers it to me when I am having sex with someone. Cause like I said, it's one of those things where it does feel really good and I don't consider it to be bad taking it you know during sex compared to something like another drug where it lasts all night it's not that bad it's not that deep um but i will admit that for a while when i was dating my ex brody he used to use it every single time he had sex and oh i think another thing as well it also does make you last a fair bit longer on sex so if you're bottoming i feel like that's probably a good thing because I at least, I know some people don't really care, but I at least like to sync up um, when you're having sex with someone so that you both come at the same time because as a bottom, and I know this is an experience that lots of people have, if I have sex and I come before the other person and they're still like thrusting in me, I'm like, okay, I've come now. Like, get out of me. Get out of me right now. Like, I do not want you in me anymore. I'm done. Goodbye. Um, I don't know if that's for everyone but for me I'm like Ugh. so me and Brody would use it all the time to the point where we were using it every single time we had sex and it got to the point where Brody actually had like bad um, heart issues I think like he kind of got heart palpitations sometimes and stuff like that and I ended up saying to him I was like look I think you need to stop using it um, really the only reason I was using it because it was it, it was because he had it because I was not going to buy something like that, but he had it. So of course I was like, yeah, okay. If you're giving it to me and shoving it in my nose, I'm going to use it. Um, of course him being the dickhead that he was did not listen to me, but anyway. Um, but I don't know, I guess you can sit there as a straight person and say, well, this all sounds so bad. Like to be inhaling a drug regularly every time you have sex. And yes, I would have to agree with you, but like I said, it is very common. Um, it's basically, it's very much a part of gay culture. And I doubt that there's any other community of people out there at all that have a type of drug that they use for, like, I don't know. I feel like I would say at least 90% or at least 80% surely of 
modern gays have used AML before. I have rarely ever encountered a person who has said, I've never done it before. I actually did last night. I don't know how it came up, the topic. But I had one person who I saw last night who said that they've never used it. But most people, as a whole, have used it at least once. Excuse me. Um, now, I don't know. I guess... I don't know. People can say that it's taboo, all this talk of drug use and stuff like that amongst gay people. But I think that realistically, um, for a community that's like, I don't know, I feel like for gay people, basically, for a lot of people, uh, from an outside perspective, people consider us taboo, like just our existence alone is quite taboo. Like you have, I've had conversations with people before where they're like, oh yeah, it's fine that you're gay, but just don't tell me like that you have sex because I don't want to know about it because, you know, ew, that's disgusting. Which, now I know the majority of people, straight people, have at least tried anal once in their life. So why is it that it's dirty and disgusting for you to think about me having sex uh, and having anal sex, but for you it's like something that's considered desirable and you want to try it? Um, It's just ridiculous. It's a complete double standard. But when, as a gay person, your existence alone is considered to be taboo by most people, if I am considered taboo simply for existing, then realistically, as a community, we're much less likely to consider other taboo things to be taboo. <laughs> um, have, you ta- have you counted how many times I said taboo? I'm thinking uh, I'll put up a ding, ding, like a bell. Um, like, realistically, so many gay people are much more likely to partake in, like, sex work, um, drugs like risky sexual encounters, all this different stuff that the average person probably either doesn't do anywhere near as much or wouldn't admit to doing or speak about it all. Um, and there's lots of reasons behind this, I guess. But if I'm being told that the way that I was born and my sexual predispositions, I guess, are abnormal activities, like then of course I'm going to think that whatever I do that's not normal is also way more normal than what it actually is because someone's telling me that I'm not normal and I consider myself to be normal. So why would I not consider these other things that I see people within the community doing all the time to also be normal? I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I guess this is where... Uh, it's so nuanced, I guess, because you have to look at the many different factors as to why gay and queer people use drugs and imbibe in all this stuff in the first place and why they do it so much more than normal, the average person. Um... And this is, I guess, where I can easily separate my own experiences with my problems with alcohol and drugs and look at the much bigger picture. Because regardless of why I take all this, why I've taken stuff, um, I mean, realistically, in gay and queer communities, you have a much, 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 much higher mental health and depression rate, like amongst the community as a whole. Apart from the obvious fact that, uh, like, queer people or LGBTQ people experience homelessness at, like, so much higher of a rate, and then like trans people experience it at an even higher rate. So it's actually, I did the research and it's actually um, 33% of, uh, that. this is just for gay people, gays and lesbians, 33% of gay and lesbian people have experienced some form of homelessness at some point in their life. Like on top of that, there's so many societal pressures and like family issues. And even if I guess it doesn't result in full on homelessness, I guess there's just the fact that realistically it's so much harder as a whole to be LGBT. Like, like way harder. Like, I don't know. I've, I've kind of had to come to realize this over the years that 
most people have no idea of the struggles that I'm regularly thinking about in my life that all tie back to the idea of being gay. And I don't exactly help um, with openly displaying that amongst my friendship groups and making them understand it because, I don't know, especially when I was younger, I used to like to openly argue against anyone that had this victim mentality of, oh, you know, it's so hard being gay and I have to come out and poor me. Because in my head, I was like, oh, who cares? Like, grow up and just, it's a way of life. Just learn to deal with it. But I've come to realize that, you know what? Like, no, I shouldn't really have to deal with it. Obviously, I do have to deal with it. But it's not something that I have to go, I should have to go through. Why is it that, like, that straight people don't have to come out and I have to do this whole coming out experience that's so awkward and you still have people comment and go, even like parents, for example, like, like I said in another episode, my mum was really good about me coming out and now we have like the best relationship, but she still regularly says to me sometimes, she's like, why, why did it take you so long to come out with me? Like, why did, why didn't you tell me sooner? And just people do not understand that even if I know and I'm reassured by my parents that they're not going to disown me, it's still so scary to think, oh my God, you know, like something else could happen. They, my relationship might change with them. It might not be ever the same again as it was before. And that's what I think weighs on people for years and why so many people have these mental health issues. I think it, it would be tenfold for people who are in religious situations where I know I especially see it predominantly in like um, Arab families where they're probably way more religious and the cultural differences. Most of them are not out to their family at all, which is so sad because it's limiting them. And it's also, I think the average person, I don't know about everyone, but me personally, if someone told me that they're not out to their parents, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to make any effort to date you because I get that it's not your fault, but also I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't know. Um, But like, I always joke about everything with all my friends, so I doubt anyone ever actually takes me all that seriously when I complain about, like, dating struggles or issues that I have as a gay guy. But since moving to Melbourne, and I'll get serious for a second, I guess, um, since getting to Melbourne, I probably had one of the least successful years of my life ever. And that's, I guess, a struggle to admit for me, because realistically, this last year should have been one of the best years of my life. Like, I moved, um, I finally became an independent adult, and then... I don't know, I guess going from a small country town to a big city isn't all it's cracked up to be. Like, no, I don't regret it in any way, not for a second at all. But I don't know, I guess even when you think about it, just the concept that I need to move four hours away to a big city purely due to the fact that I have sex with guys and there's none in small rural towns is a disadvantage that the average person will never have to experience. Like, I don't want to be away from my family and I don't want to have little to no support group. Um moving to another city, but it's just a fact of life that people within country towns just have to go through because there's no other choice unless you want to be miserable. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's so many, so many, so many, so many different struggles that I've really come to understand over the years that I always used to diminish and not really speak about or think about. Like, just off the top of my head, like, I don't know. Gay people are so hypersexual. Like, I don't know. I guess everyone's addicted to something or we have much higher rates of um, addictions and that sort of thing. And we all imbibe way more than the average person. I literally can't walk down the street or show public affection towards someone without either me feeling awkward and making myself feel uncomfortable or, I don't know, being stared at or someone saying something. Obviously, this is less of a, less of a case in the city, but it's still an issue. Um, 
And then we constantly have people around us asking us personal questions or trying to like coin us as this token gay best friend. Like the list goes on and on and on and on and on. I could talk about it all day realistically. And I probably will in other episodes because I have lots to say. Um, And I've kind of, I think this has all hit me and it's kind of really started to make me struggle with it all. Or at least I've realized that I've I've been struggling with it all as I've gotten older and I've had more of a realization to it. Whereas before I didn't really ever think much about it. Um, And realistically, I'm not going to sit here and complain because at the end of the day, I cannot for the life of me imagine what it would be like to be someone who was gay 20 years before me or someone who lives in another country where being gay is either illegal or very unaccepted. Um, But that also doesn't discount my experiences, I guess, at the end of the day, which is something that I always forget. I kind of always diminish whatever I'm feeling because I know that someone else has it worse. Um... But that is probably all for today because I'm actually going out for dinner. Um, So, yeah, I hope that was an interesting discussion. And I taught some people something, especially straight people, because this is all stuff that I have hardly ever thought about myself up until recently. So um, it would really help, guys, if you could give me a five star rating if you've made it to the end. Um, or share my podcast around if you like it, or if you know anyone who wants to come on um, and talk to me about a certain topic that they know more about than I do, which probably is rare because I know everything. No, I'm I'm only joking. Um, But if you know anyone who would be interested in coming on and talking to me, who knows something about a topic in depth, then I would love to hear from them. And my email is actually attached in the bio of whatever podcast you're listening to. So um, until next time, bye. (laughs)